Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Welcome, Inspire family. It's so good to be with you. I'm standing here in Fremont, California, and I want to say thank you to Pastor Ryan Kwan and all of those, the Resonate Church family. We're so thankful that they have opened up their home, and I'm so inspired to be here. They were a church plant too 10 years ago, and look where God has brought them. It makes me want to just start a building fund right now. Let's take an offering. <laughs> I'm just playing, but I'm just so thankful to be here. I'm so thankful to our Resonate family that we could come to you uh, with this new sermon series that we are calling His Story. You see, His Story is the story of the advent of God. It's the story of Emmanuel, God with us, God among us. It's a story that will end with God's people in the presence of God, enjoying the blessings of God for all time. But what do you do when those promises are delayed? What do you do when the blessings of God seem unrealistic or far off? How do you feel when what you're currently experiencing looks nothing like what God said? You see, this is his story, but it's our story too. So as we celebrate the season of Christ's arrival, we'll also commemorate the struggle to hold on to hope in his delay. Now we're going to tell this story in four epic chapters, so I hope you plan to be with us for the next four weeks. Chapter one, we've entitled The Promise, the source of hope rooted in the promise God made to David. Chapter 2, we've entitled The Problem. A divided heart is easily distracted as we pursue lesser things and forget that promise. Chapter 3, The Prophecy. Prophets speaking the word of God, piercing the darkness, letting us know just when all hope was lost, the promise maker is still faithful. And chapter 4, we'll finish with the parousia, Greek for coming, the arrival of hope our living hope, the promise fulfilled, the advent of Emmanuel. This is history. History is a living ledger. It's a track record of God. History declares that God is faithful, and this is Christmas. This is Advent. We don't just celebrate the God who came, but we also celebrate the God who will come again. So take heart if you're discouraged. Take heart. Remain strong. Stay faithful in the delay. If you're tired or tempted to quit, hold on and endure. Because the God who was faithful is faithful. And everything he said he would do, he will do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we honor you. We celebrate the coming of your son in this season. But we also, we look back, but we also look forward. Because Jesus, you will come back again for your bride. And so as we live in the tension of your already but not yet, give us strength to endure. I pray this entire series, each chapter, would speak to our hearts. Lord, we love you. We honor you. And it's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Chapter 1, 
His story is a story of promises. Covenants made by God to his people throughout redemptive history. In fact, we can divide, theologically, we can divide history into five major covenants, starting with what we call the Noahic covenant. Y'all remember the story? Noah, after the flood with his family, looking at a rainbow in the sky, and God making a promise to creation that he would never judge the earth of the flood again. We continue with Abraham and what is known as the Abrahamic covenant. Y'all remember when Abraham was called out of his homeland into a foreign land and in that calling God promised him a great name, a great nation and that from his body a seed would come that would bless the earth. And we see the formation of that nation as God delivers many years later Abraham's descendants out of Egypt and brings them to Mount Sinai. We call this the Mosaic Covenant. You see, on that mountain, God promised to set his people apart and he promised to teach his people as to teach his people to live as his covenant people in the promised land. And I want to pause quickly because I want to make an observation regarding the covenant promises of God. The first thing that we need to know about the promises of God is that God's promises are his purposes. The first thing that we need to know about God's promises is that God's promises are not isolated incidents, but they're one progressive movement moving toward an ultimate fulfillment. God's promises are his purposes. Every promise God makes is simply a declaration of what he's going to do. I remember the story of the great Bambino, Babe Ruth, in the 1932 World Series. As he was up to bat, he had two strikes on him, and the story goes is that he pointed to center field. And sure enough, the next pitch came and the babe hit a bomb over the Severfield fence. And just for a moment, that moment became legendary because babe called his shot. And it's crazy because we immortalize these moments because just for a split second, it seemed as if the babe, the great Bambino, was sovereign. It seemed as if he was in control. It seemed as if he was able to work circumstances out in his favor. But if you know the story, you investigate a little bit further, you'll find out that there were some people that there were suggesting that he didn't call his shot. But when he had his hands pointed out, he was looking at the opposing team dugout with two fingers out, telling them that there were two strikes. It's exciting to think that maybe just for a moment, Babe called the shot. But the reality is, is that when God makes a promise, he's calling his shots. You see, God is sovereign, and because he is sovereign, he's the only being worthy of our ultimate trust. And so when God makes a promise, he has the ability to make sure that that promise comes to fulfillment. The scripture tells us that when God makes a promise, he watches over his word throughout history. When God makes a promise, it's God moving history towards his intended purposes and so we have the noahic covenant the abrahamic covenant the mosaic covenant and this brings us to today's text in second samuel 7 if you have your bibles a promise that we call the davidic covenant 
2 Samuel chapter 7. I'm going to read verse 1 through 4 and kind of set the scene for you. Scripture reads like this. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart. For the Lord is with you. Now, I want to stop there because we're not yet at the place where God makes a promise to David. But I want to kind of set the scene and paint you a picture for you to see the conditions of this promise. You see, David was enjoying uh, his kingdom in its prime. He was like Michael Jordan after his fourth ring, getting ready for more. His kingdom was in his prime. And, and let me tell you what that kingdom in its prime looked like. You see, for several years, the 12 tribes of Israel have been in civil war. But now they were finally united under D David's kingship. But that wasn't all. David established Jerusalem, the strategic city, as his capital. It was perfect militarily as it was surrounded, a stronghold surrounded by mountains, impossible to penetrate. It was also perfect politically because it was located in a neutral territory with respect to the tribes. But perhaps the best part of this kingdom in its prime, David had brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. You see, the Ark of the Covenant was a symbolic of God's blessings, and it was a sign of the enthroned presence of God. And here now in chapter 7, we see David living in the lap of luxury, living large in his cedar palace, resting from all his enemies. Now I want to take a brief moment to take a closer look at what we see. David's kingdom in its prime is a small glimpse of a coming kingdom. What we have there is God's presence, God's king, God's kingdom, and God's people. And, and we see the result of that is rest from their enemies. You see, just for a moment, just for a brief time in history, God opens the veil and allows us to see what heaven on earth could look like where we'll finally be with King Jesus in the presence of God in a perpetual Sabbath. I love that this text uses the word rest from his enemies. And so we see in this time of the overwhelming manifest blessings of God over David and his kingdom. David realizes while he's chilling in his palace, he notices that God's over there in a tent. He's walking his cedar palace with all of the fixings. And as he looks down, he sees the Ark of the Covenant in a tent. And the text insinuates that David begins to think, man, I want to build God a house. I, I, I'm in a palace. God needs a temple. And so his boy, Nathan, the prophet, co-signs this idea, says, hey, look, that idea sounds good. Why don't you go ahead and do whatever is on your heart? But later on that night, God comes to David, God comes to Nathan, and he tells him, look, I never asked for a tent. 
In fact, my whole time with my people, I, I would rather, I appreciated being mobile. I like to go where they go. When I move, they move. When they move, I move. I've never asked for a house. And it's in this setting that God then says, go back and tell your boy David, thanks, but no thanks. And instead of you doing something for me, I think I'm going to do something for you. And so if you would continue with me in 2 Samuel 7, and we're going to read the second half of verse 11 all the way to verse 17. The scripture reads like this. The Lord declares to you, now this is Nathan again, telling David what God told him. The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. I want you to hear this. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision. Nathan spoke to David. This section of scripture is iconic and is known as the Davidic promise, the Davidic covenant. It's a promise by God to establish a Davidic dynasty that will one day culminate with an everlasting reign of a future son of David. This is an epic moment in redemptive history. This promise will become not just the hope of a nation, but it will become the hope of the world. This promise will lay out the groundwork for future prophets declaring messianic prophecies. You see, when all hope seems lost and in the future God's people feel alone, this promise will pierce through the darkness and give them reason to believe again. I love how pastor and theologian John Wood frames this promise. He says, the entire New Testament, to put it simply, is saying in one sense, what God promised to David back in 2 Samuel 7 has come. So for the rest of our time together, I want to quickly observe five characteristics of this promise, five transcending elements that we can both observe and hold on to as we find ourselves waiting for the advent of God in our day. And if you're taking notes, observation number one, the promise of God, the promises of God are a demonstration of his extravagant grace. I love that word extravagant. It means lacking restraint, exceeding what is reasonable. It means above and beyond what is appropriate or even justifiable. This is exactly what we see going on in the context of David's life. You see, coming into this moment, man, David was already living in the lap of luxury. David had already been experiencing the manifest blessings of God. In fact, it was David who wanted to now reciprocate those blessings. He wanted to say, God, you've given me so much. Man, I got to give something back to you. But God, in the text, 
It says something unique. In fact, if you catch it, it's a play on words. He said, David, you wanted to build me a house, but instead, I'm going to build you a house. You might ask the question, what is God thinking? Why not? It, it's a beautiful idea to reciprocate to the Lord. I mean, David's heart is well and pleasing. What was God trying to do? You see, he was setting the stage. You see, his story will not be defined by what David will do for him, but by what he will do for David above and beyond what he can think of or imagine. You see, God's promises, God's promises are fueled by extravagant grace. Number two, God's promises, the promises of God are the product of his unmerited favor. When you think of the word unmerited, you think of unearned, undeserved, unconditioned, no prerequisite needed. You see, many times when we see people in David's situation, blessed, living large, maybe they got a new home, they got a new car, they got an upgrade in their job, getting paid more. Immediately, sometimes it's logical to think, man, they must be doing something right. God must be blessing them. We also assume the opposite true when everything is going wrong, specifically in our lives. Maybe... You've lost somebody close to you that you love. Maybe you've been trying to have a baby. You've been trying to have a child and you find yourself frustrated. See, a lot of times when people are being blessed, we, we think to ourselves, man, what, what, what are they doing right to attract God's favor? And a lot of times when things are going wrong, we think to ourselves, man, God must be punishing us. After seeing the extravagant blessings over David's life, the logical question is to ask, man, what did he do to earn God's favor? But I want to tell you a little story. You see, just a couple of chapters later, David is going to commit adultery. He's going to sleep with another man's wife. She'll become pregnant, and then he will premeditate her husband's murder to cover it up. If you continue further down David's line, you see his children, his sons will commit rape incest, insurrection, rebellion, and idolatry. The entire kingdom will be flipped upside down. They'll turn away from God. But yet the promise of God will remain true. Why? You see, his story will not be based upon David's ability to be true, but it will be based upon his ability, God's ability to remain faithful to his covenant promises. I love the fact that God's word God's promises are faithfully secured not in my character but in his I love the fact that God's word God's promises are secured in who he is and what he has done not in who I am and what I could do God's promises are the result of extravagant grace unmerited favor and God's promises are eternally secure God's promises are eternally secure you see it's funny to me it's ironic that as David was enjoying his palace that he would look down and assume that God would need a more permanent place to dwell I can imagine God looking at David and thinking man that's pretty cute but God he's the personification of permanence God is eternal. God is everlasting. It wasn't God who was insecure about his existence, but it was David who needed to be more permanent. Funny, though, David thought it was God who needed permanence, yet the whole time it was David who needed security. 
And I can see David just for a moment content with what he's got. Right, I can see David content with those temporal and temporary blessings that he had already received from God. But let me tell you something about those blessings, those temporary blessings. You see, eventually Jerusalem would fall. Eventually the tribes would divide once again. Eventually David himself would even run from his palaces. His sons would chase after him. And there's something so important that you need to understand about this portion of the text. People of God, temporal blessings are nice, but they do not last. They're only shadows meant to point us toward the even greater blessing to come. You see, every shadow is casted from something that is more real. In his story, shadows are meant to point us toward the greater reality. And can I just say one thing? A lot of times we're tempted to put our hope in a shadow. A lot of times we're tempted to put our joy in a temporary blessing. But when we make something temporary our everything, when that temporary thing fades and falls, we fade and fall along with it. And so be careful as God blesses you in the temporary things, as God gives you blessings on this earth. I want you to know every gift that comes from God ultimately points to something even greater. Don't fall into the idolatry of worshiping the shadow that you miss the real thing. God's promises are eternally secure. Number four, I love this. The promises of God are open vessels. The promises of God are open vessels. In fact, they come to open vessels. What do I mean by that? You see, God's people, and if you're listening to me, make sure you lean in and hear me out. We have too many stingy people of God. God's people, God's people should be conduits and not containers. We should be highways and not cul-de-sacs. Remember, the promises of God are the purposes of God. And remember that the promises of God, they go through, not to they go through and not to. And so when God blesses a people, when God purposes to bless a man, when God purposes to bless a woman, it's not to leave the blessing with them, but it's so that the blessing would flow through them like a channel of water. The promises of God are the purposes of God. And I love this. If you read the scripture, you'll find out the purposes of God are the blessings of creation. I love this. God is so good that what is for his glory is to our benefit. When God is most glorified, we are most satisfied. I'm going to say that again. When God is most glorified, we are most satisfied. God is so good that even when something is for his benefit, like his purpose, even when something is for his glory, it is our blessing. You see, his story was not just about David. His story was not just about Israel. His story is just not about people. His story is about the totality of creation. From the very beginning, God's intention was not just to bless a man, not just to bless a nation, not just to bless a people, but to renew creation for his glory. For his glory. Finally, number five, the promises of God culminate in one glorious ultimate fulfillment every promise ever uttered by God 
every promise ever written down in the holy text of scripture, every promise ever declared by the prophets, they are ultimately demonstrated in one glorious person. Every promise in scripture creates an expectation, right? Somebody ever tell you, man, hey, this weekend, my son, every Saturday, my son knows we play. And on Monday, he'll ask me, is it Saturday yet? On Tuesday, he'll ask me, is it Saturday For those of you that have young kids, to be honest, I get tired on Saturday. Sometimes I, I, I don't even want to play. But I realize there's going to come a time when my son's going to get old enough and he don't want to be with me anymore. And I need to cherish these moments that he wants to be with me. He looks forward to it. And when I make a promise, it sets an expectation in his heart. And that's what happens when God makes a promise. It creates an expectation for fulfillment. When will this take place? When will it come? You see, God's promises culminate in one glorious, ultimate fulfillment. You see, on one hand, David will have a son, and that son will be Solomon. And Solomon will seem to meet the expectations of this promise. Solomon will be a great and wise king, and for a time his kingdom will be prosperous, peaceful, righteous, and just. He'll build the temple, and his kingdom will look like the kingdom of God. But remember, it's only just a shadow. You see, shadows fall, shadows fail, shadows fade. And that kingdom will ultimately come to an end. And for a thousand more years after Solomon, his story, God's story, history will be about God's people awaiting, anticipating. God, you promised David. And David's kingdom looked good, but it fell. And then his son Solomon came and his kingdom looked good, but then it fell. And it split. And we've been in darkness and for a thousand years the people of God will wonder... When will you fulfill what you told David? You see, shadows fall, shadows fail, shadows fade. And for a thousand more years, his story will be about his people waiting for his arrival while struggling to hold on to hope in his delay. Until one night, one silent night or one loud night, but until one night. In the city of David, the city of Bethlehem, a son will be born. Listen to the opening lines of Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David. The son, this son, will be a son of David, but will also be the unique son of God the Father. This son won't just rebuild the temple, he is the temple, and through him as our chief cornerstone, many living stones will come to build the house of God. And although he himself will commit no iniquity, this son of David will be punished for the iniquities of his brothers, of his father, and of the world. You see, Jesus is the demonstration of extravagant grace, a promised blessing above and beyond what anyone could ever think of, thought of, or even imagined. Jesus is the result of unmerited favor, a love we didn't earn or deserve. 
He offers peace with God and eternal security to all those who believe. He's the ultimate conduit, the ultimate channel, and the mediator to God. Every spiritual blessing in heaven has been given to us in Christ Jesus. So this Christmas season, let us look back in wonder at our Savior's birth, the coming of the Son of David. But let us all look ahead at joyful expectation when that Son of David will come back again and make all things new. This is our story, but this is his story. And I invite you to continue to take this journey with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are eternal. You live above and beyond time and space. But you came down into time. You came down into space. And you made a promise to King David, a promise of an everlasting kingdom, a promise of a son that would rule that kingdom forever. And we stand on that promise because you alone are sovereign. You control your destiny. Your promises are your purposes and your purposes are our blessings. And so number one, as we start this journey, I want to thank you for the arrival of that beautiful son, Jesus. The fulfillment, the ultimate glorious fulfillment. I want to thank you for the perfect life that he led. I want to thank you the death that he died soaking up the full wrath of God on our behalf that he first established peace with God between me and you. And I want to thank you because even though we find ourselves right now in between the comings, the advent, the parousia of God, and even though sometimes it feels like that promise is delayed, I trust, looking at history, God, that what you said you would do, you will do, because the God who was faithful, is faithful. So we honor you, we thank you for your story. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.